All right. The uh, thoughts on section today, the, the, the topic is going to be factors that influence ideal programming. So I was thinking a lot about this in preparation for my conversation with James Fitzgerald, um, really kind of digging in and, and rethinking about programming and all the things that kind of go into this. And so what I, what I came up with is that there are seven different factors that we need to consider, some of which uh, I'll call soft factors and some of which are hard factors, meaning soft is they're there. They influence the, the actual client's or patient's response to what you're doing, but they're a little bit harder to, to quantify. And then you also have the, the, the hard facts or the hard influences, which are things that you are constantly trying to measure and keep track of so that you can, you can really, really accurately um, keep a hold of this to give really, really good programming. So the, you know, the first one that is probably the, the one that a lot of people don't necessarily like to dig into is going to be the needs, desires, and expectations, um, the goals or, you know, or the intentions of the client or the patient. And that is, that is really why are they training? Now, that's, that's relatively easy to figure out if you're talking about, you know, an athlete that's trying to make the Olympic team. But when you're talking about people that, are, that don't have this obvious and easy focus, um, that might be a little bit hard to dig into. And for a lot of people, that's going to be challenging, and they, they may or may not want to dig into this. I will tell you, though, that at the end of the day, when you're dealing with people, particularly, you know, outside of their 20s that are just trying to, to fitness and, and, and kind of make it work in life, that's a really, really big question. And that is going to be crucial if you're going to be able to align the goals of the client with the goals of the program. Uh, the next one are going to be the health habits. This is going to be sleep, nutrition, stress management, recovery. You know, are they doing things outside of the the training hall that are good or bad? You know, for for the process of getting them to improve in what they're doing. And those, in some cases, you're going to find that those are the big elephants that have to actually be addressed. And until those are addressed adequately, the results that you're getting from the, the program are going to be compromised. So we, we definitely want to be thinking about that. Um, the next one, I, I sort of have a, a broad topic or a broad group that I call external demands. And I divide this into two different categories. One is going to be your sport requirements or your performance requirements. This is, this is crucial, right? This is when you're sitting down and you're thinking, okay, I have two, two clients or two athletes in front of me, and let's say that they're the, the same age, the same sex, really the demographics are almost identical, but one of them is training to run a marathon as fast as possible, say they're trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon, and the other one is just trying to be you know, healthy and fit and be able to sort of play baseball with their kids, those are two completely different sports requirements. One of them is, you know, at least on an amateur level, a pretty high goal qualifying for the Boston Marathon. And the other one is, is a very noble goal, but it's totally different. And those goals are crucial because they're going to, to be really the targets that the programming is, is aiming at. So that's, that's really important. On the other side of the external demands is going to be you know, what I'll call life demands. And this is, this is not the target. These are things that actually deter from the process. Uh, this might be you know, something that's, 
the you know the, if the person let's say we we go back to the same exact person or sorry the same exact scenario where we have the two almost identical people but let's say in this case one of them is a construction worker and they're super super busy and so they're doing 10 hours a day 6 days a week of 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 heavy lifting and and moving stuff around and very very active that is going to have a a, a significant impact on their actual training load and so we got to account for that on the other side you might have somebody that's maybe it's an athlete that's lucky enough where they're funded or they're making enough money in their sport that they don't actually have to to work so those are completely different um life demands one of them that i never factored when I was when I when I was an actual athlete, is the the amounts of sitting that I had to do. So I had to study a lot in school, and and that ended up me being having my butt in a chair for a long period of time. And that sitting, that chronic load on my on my back, it I, I think should be con, continued volume, or sorry, should be volume that is that is counted when you're thinking about all of the load going through the body. So there's lots of of life demand that you could sort of dig out and tease out that might have. It, tremendous value once you do figure those out because you're going to be able to dial in the actual program a lot more once you figure those things out. The next one is a very, very broad and big, but but this is one of your the hard factors that you're constantly considering, and that is what I call internal capabilities of the client or the athlete. Um, the first one is is the biggest, most important one that we all hopefully are doing, and that is functional competence. Functional competence is asking the question, does the athlete have the capability or the, the, the prerequisites to execute the movements that are required of their, their activity or their sport? Now, if you've got an Olympic weightlifting athlete that wants to go you know, make it to nationals, but they have incredibly poor dorsiflexion, that's going to have significant consequences, you know, on their performance. So we, we need to be doing, we need to be doing a detailed functional evaluation so that we can assess, you know, where they're at when they start this process so that we know how to go in and actually do the programming. The next one is going to be your performance competence. And that is going to be totally different depending on, you know, the sport requirements um, for that athlete. You know, if you've got someone that's trying to um, run, you know, again, qualify for the Boston Marathon, well, that makes sense. That's, that one is going to be heavily dependent on their lactate threshold, on their, their VO2 max, their resting heart rate. But if you go on the other side and you're comparing an athlete that's, say, trying to make the, the Olympics and the shot put, I don't think that they really care all that much what their anaerobic threshold is or what their, you know, their VO2 max is. But you know damn well that they, they care, you know, what is their vertical jump? You know how explosive are they? What's their their um, their one rep max in the in the back squat say or the clean? These are these are things that matter significantly. So the performance competence is going to be very very dependent on the actual sport requirements. Uh, next one is going to be psychological competence. This is of course maybe just something to be aware of, and in most cases the coach is only going to generally understand or have an idea of what's going on there. But this is their ability to sort of handle whatever sport requirements that they have. Um, if you're talking about just being in shape for life, I don't think the psychological competence is all that much of a factor. But if you're talking about having to perform well you know, you know, on the platform of the Olympic Games, well, that, that kind of matters. There's a lot going on there. Think about golf. I mean, think about how much... Um, the, the the difference between the top athletes and the not so top athletes is just really between the ears. Can they make that putt, 
you know, five foot, 10 foot, 15 foot when it matters. That's, that's the psychological competence. You could also think about psychological competence as, you know, goal setting. You know, you have, you have athletes that set absolutely ridiculous goals that they'll never meet. And you also have goal athletes that set goals that are like so easy to meet that they don't even have to work hard. So athletes that, that can adequately goal set is going to be another um, huge influence on their psychological competence. We also have training age, right? So if you're thinking about what you're going to do with the athlete, uh, training age is going to be a big deal because that's just, we just know physiologically, have they had enough time? Have they had enough contractions, enough forces going through their joints and their tissues to actually handle a significant load that you you might be putting on them? Uh, and then uh, finally, we have uh, previous injuries, so previous injuries is going to, of course, influence their functional competence. It may actually influence their performance competence, and who knows? Maybe it influences their psychological competence. But you need to know these things so that you can be writing programs that not only either improve the injuries, right, and the, the effects the injuries have on in their movements, or it improves their ability to compensate around those injuries if they're sort of rigid injuries. Uh, next, we're going to have technical efficiency, and this is, you would think this would fall into internal capabilities, but technical efficiency is really how well does the athlete move? And of course, the movement matters depending on the sport. If they're training for the Boston Marathon, we're talking about running mechanics. If they're training for um, Olympic Games and the shot put, we're talking about their shot put technique. We're talking about their clean technique, you know, their back squat, front squat, bench press, all of these movements that they continuously perform. Uh, we want to know how well are they doing that. And I have that in there as separate and distinct from internal capabilities, particularly from functional competence, because they're not the same. Just because you have the functional competence to move well doesn't mean that you will move well. You can have someone that, let's say, has perfect functional competence for you know, executing a clean, but their coach is telling them to sit back on their heels and push to lift their chest up. So now they're actually lifting with, you know, what I would say is bad mechanics, not because they lack the capability of doing it, you know, because they lack the functional competence, but because their conception of what they're trying to do is not accurate. And so they're trying to do the wrong thing. So the technical efficiency is another humongous factor. Um, the, the better your technical efficiency, the greater the amount of actual training load that you can tolerate, right? Because if you're moving more efficiently, and remember efficiency has to do with input, the ratio between input and output. If they're moving more efficiently, then they're going to apply less load through the joints, through the given tissues that they're actually using in their sport. So technical efficiency is a really, really big, um, big deal. Another one uh, that you obviously need to be aware of is going to be time constraints. And so these can be something as simple as, well, when's the next competition? If the next competition's in three weeks, we got to kind of pull a rabbit out of a hat. If the next competition is in three months or three years, well, now you have actual time to, to work backwards and, and do some periodization and actually prepare them for that. You also might have somebody that travels a lot. This is not just work people, but also athletes. You know, it is, it is a very, very different thing to go from you know, a level where you are competing once a week, say, and it's all local, so you're just driving there that morning versus having to fly to Europe 
you know, or Asia or whatever, and be able to transition quickly. And then you, you have to just be really factoring that. And it absolutely interferes with your training. And so you have to know what those are. And then the other one that would be a time constraint would be work. I mean, if you've got that, that athlete that doesn't work, cool. They can do two-a-days. I love two-a-days. The strongest I ever got was on two-a-days. Um, but what if you've got someone that has to work an eight-hour day? Now you've got, you know, a two-a-day is not really feasible. They could technically do it, but it might be more, more of an effect on their sort of um, recovery than it's worth. So we have to be thinking about those time constraints. And then the last one is really the athlete's response to training. And this takes, this is not something that you can establish in the first week, uh, month. I mean, heck, maybe not even year. It probably took me two or three years to really figure out how athletes respond to the training. And the that could be lots of things. That can be the actual the training volume. Do you have an athlete that responds more to high volume? Do you have athletes that respond more to, you know, high intensity? Do they do well with lots of rest? Do they do well with not a lot of rest? Um, what What's their peaking process, right? And it's not like everyone that's peaking for a competition, you just, you know, cut their lifting down right the, the week before they go. There are things that you can do. Some athletes respond well to, you know, neural stimulation, very, very close, to the competition, you know, with I, I know that my my wife, who's a very successful track athlete, she did really really well when she did, you know, explosive, really high intensity. I mean, um, she maxed out in the snatch before she broke the national record um, in college. So she responds to that. Other athletes, they need to be off of squats for ten days. They don't do very well if you're doing a neural stimulation. And so figuring that out takes a lot of time. Um, the other one is just the the total volume. The, the total intensity, the recovery, all of those things matter. You know, even like do they respond better to front squats or back squats, to cleans or snatches, you know, I mean, body weight stuff. I mean, it's, it, it's the list goes on and on and on. But those, you have to kind of be taking notes if you really want to be training an athlete and to be getting continuous improvement with them for many, many years. It's very easy to get someone in better shape or, or to do better in a short period of time. If they haven't trained, you crank up you know, their volume a little bit, crank up their intensity, and assuming their body doesn't break, they're going to make big gains. This happens in CrossFit all the time. Somebody walks in, maybe they were an athlete you know, five years ago. They come in, they haven't really been all that active. They get in, they start going to class four or five days a week, six days a week. Boom, suddenly you see this massive spike in their performance, and then it flatlines. And I know athletes that have flatlined for years, five, six, ten years, they've had basically the same back squat. It's because the, the, the training response and all these other factors that I talked about today aren't actually being considered. And when you want to get someone to reach maximum physical potential, you need to actually be considering many of these, if not all of these. So in closing here, let me just kind of quickly run back through them again. Um, number one for the uh, factors that influence ideal programming is going to be essentially why are they training? Needs, desires, expectations, goals, intentions of that athlete um, need to align with the actual program. So that's sometimes very, very easy to figure out and sometimes requires uh, a lot of digging. Next one is their health habits, sleep, nutrition, stress management, recovery, all of those things. Um, then we're going to have external demands, which I divide into sports requirements or performance requirements. Those, that's the target. What do you need to prepare that athlete for? Then you have um, life demands, and life demands, unlike sport requirements, 
requirements actually detract or add to, excuse me, add to the athlete's volume. So it needs to be factored in there. Then you have the big one, internal capabilities. This is one that we're, we're constantly thinking about and factoring, and that's going to influence the programming on a day-to-day basis. So their functional competence, how well do they move? Do they have the prerequisites to execute the movements they need to do in their sport um, properly? Performance competence, uh, VO2 max, you know, um, anaerobic threshold, you know, one rep max in the back squat, vertical jump, you know, whatever the case may be. Psychological competence, how well can they sort of handle pressure if that's the thing they need. Training age, and then finally, previous injuries. The other one, next one is going to be uh, technical efficiency. Just because they can move well doesn't mean that they will move well. So you want to see how well are they actually moving in the movements that they need to be performing. That's going to have a big impact on the efficiency, which is going to have a big impact on their ability to handle uh, high levels of training load. Then you have time constraints. So competitions coming up, um, limited time due to work, whatever, and then maybe a lot of travel. And then finally, the last one that's that's uh, incredibly important but hard to figure out is the, the athlete's response to training. So do they tolerate high volume well? Do they need high intensity? Um, what's their the amount of recovery that they need? And then finally, how do you peak them for their sport? Every athlete is a little bit different. So um, those are the seven factors. Um, I would love to hear some comments from you guys. Um, certainly leave a leave a review if you can. You can also follow me on uh, athlete Enhan- or sorry Instagram at, at athleteenhancement.com. Um, so I would love to hear what you guys have to say. I know that a lot of these are maybe more things than you're asking your athlete or your clients, but hopefully, you know, after listening to this podcast, you're starting to think about all these seven factors that go into programming so that you can write better programs and get better results. See ya.